Amen. Well, take your Bibles today. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 today. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse number 42 for the reading of God's Word before I share the message the Lord has laid on my heart. So Acts chapter 2, starting at verse number 42, and out of respect to God's Word, would you stand with me one more time? (coughs) Acts chapter 2, starting at verse number 42. The scripture says this, this is uh, the account of the early church after the birth of the church, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word today. Speak to us, I pray, about living the life of holiness, about this grace that sustains us. And I pray that you'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, In um, (laughs) these two guys that... Mm, uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's not working. Well, hey guys, somebody work on that for me, would you? Would you flip my slides for me? Here we go. Hey, there's these two guys. uh, They're called the Jacob Brothers. And uh, the Jacob Brothers are two guys from Boston, Massachusetts. Yeehaw. You know, that's my hometown. And, um, and, and they are, um, they, in, 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 in the early days, they traveled, one of, the, one of the brothers went to school here in Southern California, and after he graduated from college, him and his brother drove from California all the way back to Boston. And uh, it was 1988, by the way, that's the same year that I graduated from college in 1988, and they drove all the way back, and they were dreaming together. They were dreaming about building a business, about what they were going to do with their lives. They had just finished, finished college. They had uh, degrees, and they devised this plan in their mind that they were going to start a brand new company. It was called the, it was called the Jacobs Company, and they were going to make T-shirts and sell T-shirts. It failed miserably. <laughs> their plan was to um, to get to take their uh, to take this uh, this Voyager that they were traveling across the country on. It was an old uh, Plymouth Voyager caravan, you know, as a mom's car, you know. And uh, they were gonna they were gonna make these T-shirts, and out of the back of their T-shirts, they were gonna travel down the East Coast from college to college selling T-shirts. And they tried and worked really hard at that. They had some, some schemes and some promotions that they were doing. This is before, you know, social media days. And um, they got to the place after a few years of doing this, they got down to $78 in their bank account. And they realized this is not working. 
And, um, and one of the brothers wanted to quit, and the other brother's like, no, I've got another idea. And he had this brilliant idea that he was going to rename the company and relaunch a brand new t-shirt logo called Life is Good. You ever see those t-shirts? Life is Good. And um, here's, a, here's a logo, Life is Good. You know, they had a little stick man there, out there. And, and within three months, they went from $78 in their bank account to well over $100,000 in their bank account. And when, within one year, they went to a million dollars in sales. And this company took off. And all of a sudden, there were, there were people everywhere that were buying T-shirts and hats and other kind of apparel. And uh, they launched their company called the Life is Good Company. Um, I love what it says here. He says, we were searching for so many years. And they asked the question, what do we stand for? And then we put out a new design, and the response was so immediate, it was exactly what we had hoped for, that life is good. And he believed this, that the optimism of, his, of the shirt, the optimism of the logo, would lift the spirits of people would turn their attitudes and their spirits up and that people would begin to want to put things on their bodies, on their hats, that would say that life is good. Well, last week, I want to tell you, life was good. Amen? I got to hold that grandbaby as much as I could. Actually, the, the parents were like, you guys have got to leave because we can't even take care of the baby anymore. You know, we were holding, him so much, holding her so much. And this is little Savannah, and there's Weston. He just loved his, uh, his niece. Uncle Weston just loved it so much. And uh, we just had a great time last week um, um, just spending some time with Savannah and with Patrick and, and Alyssa. My son was uh, also um, ordained as a pastor last Monday. And so it was, just a, it was just a fantastic time. And I was just like, you know, I said to myself, life is good. And for those grandparents in the room. I've heard for, for 30 years, I've heard grandparents say, there's nothing better than being a grandparent, nothing better than being a grandparent. I'm like, yeah, you really? Like, really? Well, yes, you're right. <laughs> there is nothing better than being a grandparent, and um, I praise God for that. I heard some, one, one of the ladies in our church here said they had 17 great-grandchildren and 11 grandchildren. Woo, that's a lot of grandkids to try to keep track of. But uh, I'll just take one, and that will be fine for now. And, uh, but life is good. Now, could I tell you that this is the spirit of the Christian life? This is the spirit of the Christian life, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When Jesus said, I am the life, it was an optimistic statement. Jesus is life. Jesus is your life. He is everything to you and to me. And those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we realize that, that he gives us what is known as eternal life. 
Jesus said, I am, I am going back to the Father, and if I go back to the Father, I will come and prepare a place for you, a place for you. And remember, it was Doubting Thomas that said, we don't know where you're going, we don't know how to get there. And Jesus responded to that and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this idea of life is found all throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul said that he would give us new life. That the old would be gone, the new would come when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus constantly, if you did just a, a search of the word life in the Gospels, you would discover that Jesus was constantly talking about this life. And life wasn't something that happens after death. Life was something that started when you received him as your Savior and your Lord. Abundant life, he says. Eternal life. It is a quality of living, a quality of life that provides goodness. Provides goodness. Now, the Jacob brothers, by the way, in the very end of an article, they were talking about their business. Here's what they said about, he said what they said about their, uh, their company. He said, they said this. He says, we want to spread this message and help people understand the depth of what it means. It's not that life is easy, and it's not that life is perfect. It's that life is good. Amen. And good does not mean you'll never have problems. It doesn't mean you'll never have conflict. It doesn't mean you'll never have bad news that will come into your life. But the goodness is that God is with you. He's in you. He will sustain you. He will be sufficient in your life. And I love that so much. Jesus said these words. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. What was he talking about when he's talking about hunger and thirst? He wasn't, he wasn't talking about physical hunger and thirst. He was talking about that spiritual hunger that every human being has that wants to find their fulfilled purpose and their meaning in their life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Eat of me, he says. Participate in me. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that life is eternal life that begins at the moment you receive Jesus Christ. I could go on and on and on giving you all these examples today. But this is the kind of kind of life that God wants to. So, for those of you who are here today and you say, God has saved me. In other words, you've received the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and you've been saved. That's the truth. The way is that he drew you to himself and he draws you to himself. And then, and you receive that. And then as you begin to walk with the Lord and you receive his grace and is your life, God begins to do a work in you, not just for you, but in you, okay? Jesus died for you. You receive what he had done for you as a gift, but he also wants to do something in you. He wants to transform you from the inside out so that your life can be good. We, we sing a song around here called, Every Good and Faithful Gift Comes From Above, right? Every good and gift comes from above, and he gives us those things. So, so, through sanctifying grace, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life fully consecrated to God. 
Pastor Brent did a wonderful job last week as I was doing baby duty. He was here preaching. By the way, do you see how much of a utility guy he is? I mean, today he's on the drums. He's on the drums, you know. Some Sunday he's on the He's on the electrical guitar. Sometimes he's on the bass guitar. Sometimes he's preaching. Sometimes he's doing the announcements. Sometimes he's doing the funeral or the wedding or the pastoral care call. I want to tell you, I love having a pastor who can do all things. He's a utility guy. You know, every team needs a good utility guy. He is the ultimate utility pastor, all right? He's much more than a utility pastor. He is a genuine pastor. But he preached on sanctifying grace. This is the grace that comes to us through the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a life fully consecrated to him. In other words, fully surrendered. After we get saved, God wants us to come to the place where we say, I give up, Lord. I surrender to you and we consecrate and he sanctifies us. When he sanctifies you, he cleanses your heart from all sin. He makes you pure in his eyes. He, he, he cleanses you to the place where you can have a purity of heart and desire to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and put him in his rightful place of number one. That's sanctifying grace. Today we're talking about sustaining grace. Through sustaining grace, the Holy Spirit cooperates with us to enable a faithful and disciplined life in given to service of God. We're going to talk about that. And next week, we're going to talk about sufficient grace. But all three of these graces is what we talk about when we talk about this life. This holy life, this life of walking with God, this distinctively different kind of living that is different when you walk with Jesus versus somebody who doesn't walk with Jesus. All of us have, have physical life, human life, but having spiritual life in Christ genuinely changes you from the inside out. So let's talk about what it means to be on this idea of of sufficient life. Now, in our, in our um, <coughs> articles of faith, for those of you who are new to ch of this church, we have what is called doctrines or articles of faith. Um, our article of faith on sanctification, which is Christian holiness and entire sanctification, there is a statement in that article that I want to read to you. I don't normally do this for, to, in my preaching time, but I thought it would be beneficial for you to hear what the statement is about entire sanctification. At least one paragraph in it. Here's what it says. We believe that there is a marked distinction between a pure heart and mature Christian character. The former, the former being a pure heart, is or obtained in an instant. In other words, you can have a purity of heart simply by saying to God, God, please come in, take all of me, I want to give it all to you, and sanctify me and make me pure in your eyes. Boom, it can happen just like that by faith. God's grace comes upon you, he cleanses you, and at that moment and that time, you are perfectly clean because of what Christ did on the cross in front of Almighty God, okay? That is purity of heart. In other words, you can have, you can have purity of intention, purity of motive, 
You can have a desire to do the things of God within you. God does that work by his grace. It's not something you earn. It's not something you manufacture, okay? But there is this distinct difference, it says, between a pure heart and a mature character. The pure heart, instantaneously. But the, the, the latter is the result of growing in grace. In other words, I become more and more in my character and who I am by becoming greater and greater as I walk with God longer and longer. Okay? After I receive sanctifying grace, it becomes easier for me to then become more like Jesus. Prior to sanctifying grace, when I have not, am not fully consecrated, grace is frustrated upon us. In other words, you get saved, but who's still on the throne? Who's still running the show? You are. God forgives you of your sins, but you're still running the show. So as you are, as you're going through life, you're like, hey, Jesus, get in my car. Let's go do, my, go do life together. And you're driving the car, and Jesus is in the back seat, and you're doing your own thing. And you're, you once in a while will cooperate with God, but most of the time you're frustrating God because you're desiring your will over his will. When you come to the place where you are sanctified, fully and completely and entirely, where you come to the end of you and you die to yourself, you come to the place and say, I surrender all. God, by his grace, sanctifies you, cleanses you, fills you with his spirit completely, and then empowers you now to live the holy life that he wants you to live. That is what happens when you get sanctified. It starts to work in your life in a powerful way. But now to grow, that, so you're pure now in God's eyes. Now to grow in character means that the way you talk, the way you think, the way you participate morally, ethically, your conduct, your behavior, your attitudes, all of those things that are the character issues in your life are developed in time through God's grace one day at a time as you participate in what we're going to talk about today, the means of grace. The grace of God that works in your life that you are cooperating now. See, the Holy Spirit cooperates with us to enable us through faithful and disciplined life given in service to God. So we begin to operate in this kind of faithfulness. So, so we believe that the grace of entire sanctification includes a divine impulse to grow in grace. So when you get sanctified, here's what happens. You receive, you're like, oh, Lord, I am... I am so filled, and you experience this grace, and then you have an impulse, you have a desire now for more of God, a desire for to be more like Jesus, a desire to do the things of God, where prior to this, you were desiring you over God. And so God's grace begins to change you from the inside out. So... What sustains the grace in your life? In other words, once you've received sanctifying grace, once you've received saving grace, once you are walking in the grace of Jesus, which is Jesus himself, 
what sustains you in that life. In other words, how do you continue to live out a holy life? How do you live out this life? And there are various opinions on this. Some people would say, you know what? The way you, you sustain it is you say, it's all about God and nothing about me. So God, you just do your work. I'm going to go over here and do my thing. You just do your work. But that's not what God says. Other people say, well, it's all about me and nothing about God. So therefore, I got to work, 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 become more disciplined, work, 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 and I got I to come super spiritual to do all these spiritual things in order for me to become more like Jesus. Well, then it turns into legalism, turns into being a Pharisee, it turns into being somebody who is works righteousness. In other words, we are working for our, for our salvation. So it's not, it's not either of those extremes. It's actually not either or. It's and. It's both and. In other words, it's all about God's grace, but he wants you to participate in God's grace. I love the illustration in the book that you're reading, and I hope you're reading this book. I really do. If you picked it up, please do the work <laughs> and read it, amen? It's really, it's had a great chapter on sustaining grace in there, and they give an illustration in there about a 747. This is, uh, this is the presidential 747 back in the day. And the, and the, and the scripture, and, and the illustration is by Dallas Willard that says, if you are seeking to live a holy life, guess what you are doing? You're consuming God's grace. You're burning it just like a 747 burns jet fuel. Think about this. It is the grace of God that saves you. It's the grace of God that 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 draws you. It's the grace of God that sanctifies you, and it's the grace of God that sustains you. It's all by grace from beginning to last. And so it's the grace, the grace, the grace, the grace. And what is the grace of God? It's Jesus. It's the unmerited, unearned love of God. And four engines, now catch this, four engines on a Boeing 747 jumbo jet burn approximately 10 to 11 tons of fuel an hour. Think about how much fuel that is. When in, the, when in cruise, this equates to roughly one gallon of fuel every second. Every second. And for those of us who are seeking to walk in righteousness and holiness, what we are doing is we are consuming his grace every day. Grace, 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 grace. I need more of his grace. This morning I got up and I spent some time with the Lord and I got my Bible open and I read my sermon open and I started to pray and I put on some worship music and then I said, Lord, I need you. And guess what God gave me? He gave me his grace. He poured his grace into me. It's not, I am not manufacturing God's power in my life. I can't sanctify myself. I can't make myself holy. I can't change me. It's what God does in me. But it doesn't mean I sit on the sidelines and just go, hey God, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. No, I participate in the means of grace that begin to change me from the inside out. So grace is poured out upon you. I love what um, a quote in the book, it says this. 
we cooperate with the active grace of God by reordering our lives around those activities, disciplines, and practices that Jesus modeled. And if you read the Gospels, what you'll discover is what did Jesus do? He got away and prayed. He, he went to the temple and he worshiped in the temple. He read the scripture. He participated in it. He fasted. He actually gave up food and fasted. He did that for 40 days and 40 nights. So there were practices that the Son of God did that he wants to institute in your life. And so when we, when we get saved and sanctified, we now reorder our lives around the practices, disciplines, and activities that Jesus did. Why do we want to do that? Because we want that active grace of God to work through those means to make us more like him so that our character becomes more like Jesus' character. So that we can not only have a pure heart, but we can have a pure integrity and a pure character that exemplifies Christ in our life. We participate in them not to earn our sanctification, but to accomplish through training what we cannot do by trying harder. In other words, none of us can get up one day and say, I'm just going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better citizen. I'm just going to, I'm going to self-will myself into this. I am going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to try harder. Anybody ever try harder and fail? You cannot try your way into heaven. You cannot try your way into, into becoming a better Christian. You grace your way into it. You grace your way into it. He does the work in you. His work is to transform you. This week, as I was studying for this message, I said, Lord, you still got a lot of work to do in me. Because as I spend time with the Lord, he convicts me. He shows me areas that I'm like, oh, Lord, I, I'm failing. What do I do with that? I go to the Lord with it. Confess it. I admit it. And I ask him through prayer to do his work of transformation in me. And guess what he does? He does the work through him. And so this is how we cooperate in sustaining grace. Now, what sustains the grace of God in your life? Number one, we don't reduce the practice of faith to one thing. Now, this is very common so often in the, in the Christian life that there will be, there's, there's people that, that, that fall into a crutch that there is one practice that they have above all others that they think that work. Now, I'll give you four common practices. First is experiencing God's presence and power. There are some of us, especially in our young days of walking with the Lord, where we just say, I just want to feel God. I want to feel him. I just want to feel it. You know, I felt him here, and I felt him there. I got into a worship service, and it was so awesome. It was like I could touch the presence of the Lord. I could just feel him so much. 
And so there are some Christians that, that they live their life seeking out an experience of feeling. But here's what I want you to know. Feelings come and feelings go. You know, it's just like being married. If you've been married for any long time, there are times where you feel in love and there's other times where you don't feel in love at all. Okay? Doesn't mean you're not in love. Doesn't mean that you're not married. Okay? But feelings are not a way to build your life upon God. It's not built upon just an experience. Now, could I just tell you, I love an experience. I love it when I feel God. I love it when he's close and I, can just, I just feel his love in such a powerful way. But my friends, that doesn't always happen. Okay? So feelings. Some people are all about rules and behavior. You know, for some, some we receive the grace of gift, but we now need to put into place all the rules and behavior. So instead of saying grace was a freeing gift, we actually make grace into something that confines us. And we build our life upon all of these rules and regulations. All right, I don't do this anymore. I do do this. I don't do this. And I don't do this. And I don't do this. And I do do this. And soon your life is nothing more than a list of rules and regulations. And the longer rules and regulations that you have and the more rules that you have, the greater holy you feel. That's not the grace way, my friends. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't boundaries. And there aren't, there aren't some things that are off limits. But, my friends, let the Word of God lead you in that area and the Holy Spirit direct you in that area. He will do that. I have set up some boundaries in my own life. I've told you about some of those things. I know in my character that I was, as a young man, I was addicted to pornography. And I had a problem with that. God saved me. He forgave me. He even cleansed me. But I had a propensity to want to see things I shouldn't see. And what did I have to do? I had to put in some, some boundaries and some guardrails to help me to keep me from falling into patterns that I knew were destructive to my life. But it wasn't the only thing that I could do that made me holy. Okay? So another one is knowledge. Sometimes people think that being spiritual is all about if I know um, the Bible backwards and forwards. If I am theologically trained, if I have all this spiritual knowledge that I gain, and the more knowledge I have, the more it puffs me up. Begins to think that, you know, it's all about Bible study, and it's all about reading, and it's all about memorizing, it's all about studying. My friends, discipleship is not just about knowledge. Knowledge is important, but it's not the only thing. And then there is what I call the super spiritual. You ever meet the super spiritual person who spiritualizes just about everything in their life to the nth degree? And we think that spirituality has to be a fanatic. You can be a mild-mannered person who is not very expressive and still love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Now, there's nothing wrong with being excited about Jesus. Nothing wrong with being passionate about Jesus. But if you're measuring your spirituality and your holiness just upon the times that you are over-spiritualizing things, 
you are setting yourself up to a great failure where you're going to sense, well, it didn't work because you're trying to manufacture it yourself. Okay? So these are some common practices. Don't reduce the practice of one of these things over and above all the others. you got to be holistic in this. Right? And so second of all, what sustains you is practice the means of grace. Practice the means of grace. We're going to talk about what these means of grace are, but practice the means of grace. What are means of grace? They are pathways to connect to God. They are means to grace. Not just means of grace, but they're means to grace. If I want to go to, for example, if I want to go to Costco, and I'm here at Olive Knoll's, I'm going to have to go out to my car, get in my car, and I'm going to have to follow um, Fruitvale down to Olive and down, down Olive to 99 and down 99 to Rosedale and get off the highway and get off the exit and get on Rosedale and then turn right into Costco. The avenue, the pathway to Costco is the roads. It's not Costco until I get there. So the means, the pathways, are the, are the activities, the disciplines that God gives to us so that we can have means to get to the grace that works in our life. Okay? So that really helps us. It's a means to grace. Um, John Wesley, and you're, you are currently, for those of you who don't know this, you are in a Nazarene church. You are in a Wesleyan Arminian church. In other words, we, our theological bat, um, historical roots go back to the Methodist church, which go back to a guy named John Wesley. He was an Englishman. And he was, a, he was somebody who was wonderfully saved by God's grace. And then he traveled around on horseback. Okay? And he would preach... And then he would take those who get saved and he would teach them a method. He would tell them, I want you to meet together and I want you to read the Bible together. I want you to meet together. I want you to read the Bible together. I want you to pray together. And I want you to confess your sins to one another. And he started what is called bands. We call them small groups. They called them groups of people that were gathered together. And he was the one who instituted this idea of means of grace. He actually preached a sermon called the means of grace. And here's what it said. He said this. By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men preventing, we call this prevenient, justifying and sanctifying grace. In other words, the grace that we received at salvation, the grace that we receive at sanctification is the same grace that sustains us. But how do we get the sustaining grace? We get it through these ordinary channels that were instituted by God. He goes on to say, the chief of these means are prayer, whether in secret or with a great congregation. So praying by yourself and also praying together with other believers. Okay? That's important. Searching the scriptures, which implies reading, hearing, and meditating thereon. In other words, we read the scripture not just for knowledge to puff us up, but we read the scripture to discover him, to know him, and for him to speak to us, to transform us. 
We don't read this book like we read any other book. Because this is the living word of God. So this is like food for our souls. It speaks, it nourishes, it encourages, it, it corrects, it trains, it guides. And so we read the scripture with a searching heart. Receiving the Lord's Supper, you did that last Sunday, amen. Eating and bread and drinking wine in the remembrance of him. And these, and these we believe to be ordained of God as the ordinary channels of conveying his grace to the souls of men and women. And so, so all of this is how you stay connected. Now, here's the problem in our world today. We're so busy. We have so much going on. And we have more opportunities today to spend time entertaining ourselves. I mean, there's so much to do. I've got like 700 channels on my television. And 400 streaming services now. And the ability to entertain my mind and my heart with all of the things of the world. And not only do I have that, I've got the ability to travel. I've got the means to, to go and have fun, to explore. I've got the mountains. I've got the ocean. I've got Disneyland. I've got all these other things that are around me that consume me to the place where the disciplines and the practices of the means of grace get pushed out of our lives. And soon, we wonder why we are no different than the world, and we say that we're followers of Christ because we're not living in that sustained grace of God that begins to help us through the means of grace. Now, Three priorities. I'm going to go real quick. Oh, wow. I, uh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 9.33. Here we go. Real fast, all right? Let's look at our text here today. I want you to see this in the Scripture. Number one, I want you to see what matters, okay? Three points. They all start with W's. What matters in your life as means of grace? Number one, what matters? Notice it says they devoted themselves. Think about this. This is the brand new early Christians, these are those who just got saved on Pentecost. There's no Olive Knoll's buildings. There's no Valley Baptist in the bridge. There's no churches like we think of it today. This is primitive Christianity. Okay? This is like the beginning. There is not even a New Testament that's written yet. All right? So this is early. They devoted themselves. And what did they devote themselves to? to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You'll notice four things that they, that they, developed them, that they devoted themselves to. In other words, what did they, did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves, first of all, to the searching of Scripture, just like John Wesley talked about, okay? The apostles' teaching was, the, was what eventually became the Bible, Okay? The apostles were the ones who had spent time with Jesus who are now teaching the new believers. That teaching eventually gets written down and gets, gets canonized into what we call the New Testament. This is what they were learning. They were searching the scriptures. They were developed to the, to the fellowship. In other words, they hung out together. 
in our Americanized Christianity, we think all I need is God and me. No. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. God designed you to be in community, in fellowship, in relationships with each other. Okay? The Lord's Supper, this was the sacraments. Okay? We have two sacraments in the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Next week we're going to do baptisms. Amen? And they're going to, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of new believers and uh, do that. But we do the Lord's Supper. Why do we do the Lord's Supper? Jesus said, do this until I come back again. Remember. And, and Paul said it this way. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood. Do this in rem- as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. How often should we be participating in Holy Communion? As much as possible. Some churches do it every week. We do it once a month. He said to do it until he comes back again. And so communion, which is the first Sunday of the month here at Olive Knowles, should be a priority in your life. You should be regularly participating in the means of grace. And then in prayer. Amen? These are what matters. All right? Second of all, here's the second thing. Who matters? Notice in this scripture it says, notice I've underlined them for you and bolded them. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the guys. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as a need. Every day they committed to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of God's people. Notice in this description there's no eyes, only we's. We matter. We are the family of God. We are the church. And so it's important if we matter that we participate in fellowship. There was a time in this church, by the way, where small groups were so much part of its DNA that everybody who was a regular part of this church was in a small group together. We've gotten out of that habit, especially after COVID. We're currently only less than 20% of regular people are participating in small groups. Now, we're a little higher this semester than we've been. But the participating in gathering together with your brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer, in searching the scripture together, and doing life together is biblical and necessary, not optional. And if you're not participating in a small group, here's my challenge to you. That next fall, we're in the, we're in the end of our spring semester right now, we take the summer off, And we launch small groups in the fall that you will intentionally find a group and find the time to commit to it. And that we will see that as a means of grace in our life. Why? Because we matter. We matter. The scripture says, bear with one another burdens. Do you know how many one another's are in the Bible? 
Love one another, share with one another, care for one another, bear with one another. One another's are all throughout the scripture. Why? Because we are a family. Families do life together, and that's what's important. Last but not least, number three, when matters. Notice it says, all the believers kept meeting together and they shared everything with each other. The practice of meeting together and participating in the means of grace is something that you should do all the time. All the time. John Wesley called it Christian conferencing. He instituted the Methodist church, which was societies, class meetings, bands, select societies, and penitent bands. None of that means anything to us today. In our vernacular, it would be Sunday school classes, small groups, leadership development, and recovery groups. Okay? That's really what it is. It means that we are participating in the, in the regular fellowship and means of ministry within the church. You want to grow to be Christ-like? You want to grow so that your character becomes mature? If you regularly participate in the means of grace, remember, it's grace that transforms, but you get on the road, the pathways that God has instituted in ordinary ways, here's what I will guarantee you will happen. You'll look back in your life and go, I am a much better person today than I was yesterday. God is growing me to be the man or woman I've been called to be. It won't happen instantaneously. Purity of heart, instantaneous. Maturity of character, journeying with the Lord day by day, week by week. That's how it works. Amen? Worship team, come on out. By the way, the question that all of these groups asked in the early days was, How's it going with your soul? Part of Christian fellowship and sustaining grace is simply this. That you, my brothers and sisters, hold me accountable and I hold you accountable. I can look you in the eye, Marianne, and say, how's your soul today? And you can look me in the eye and say, Kevin, how's your soul today? How's your soul today? How's your soul today? How's your soul? And that question really begins to open you up as you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, my soul's not good today. I've been struggling. I feel far away from God. Whatever it might be, God begins to work in your life. That's not going to happen if you isolate. It will only happen as you participate which then you receive grace that transforms. Amen, brother? Let's sing together. Stand with me, would you?